Assalamu alaikum. I'm your host Adris Ali Nasser, and you guys are tuning in to an episode of Talk Yahak, the podcast where we discuss the relevant topics impacting us Muslim Western youth to better connect with our faith, inshallah. And this is the first virtual podcast that we have here on Talk Yahak. And Allahu Akbar, we have a very special uh, guest here, our brother Qari Ahmed uh, Burhan. How you doing, brother? Alhamdulillah, brother. I'm doing amazing. It's an honor to be on your podcast today. You guys are doing uh, great work for the community. And I hope to do many more podcasts with you guys in the future, inshallah. I appreciate it, bro. Thank you so much. Wallahi. Um, subhanAllah, bro. I've been tuning into your Instagram for a minute, bro. I came across your Instagram page, you know, subhanAllah, lot, like way back, bro. I remember, you know, for those who do not recognize uh, the brother Qadi Ahmed Burhan, man, the man kind of went viral, uh, subhanAllah, for the 2018 Quran Dubai competition. Especially in the Somali community, bro. I saw you on my Facebook. I saw you on YouTube. And subhanAllah, bro, I see what you're doing uh, on Instagram. Like, subhanAllah, really like cultivating the love of the deen, cultivating the love of the Quran. You know, bro, so I'm just going to dive straight into it, bro. It's like, what was your upbringing like, bro? Because, you know, to see a young brother Somali out here, you know, it's, it's inspiring. So what was your upbringing like? So, alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed me with amazing parents. Uh, especially my mom. My mom is a an amazing individual and is behind my success. Alhamdulillah. Uh, I come from a very strict upbringing. You know, my mom was uh, really wary of what we would watch, what we would listen to. You know, the house would always be filled with Quran, uh, Islam, Deen, videos. You know, nasheeds, uh, Islamic cartoons, basically pos- positivity. So as a young kid, I always loved the Deen. I remember. Uh, there were some points where I was, you know, really in love with the imams of the Haram, imams of Mecca and Medina. So my mom would order me their their clothing, like some of their, their dressing that they would wear over the thobe. So, and then I would pray right behind them. And my mom said, may Allah, she always used to make dua for me. May Allah make you amongst the, uh, you know, big Qurra in the future, big Quran reciters uh, in the future. So Alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answered her dua. So yeah, from the household, it was a very strict upbringing. Uh, household, uh, you know, just surrounded by Quran and love. MashaAllah, Tabarakallah, bro. That, you know, that's amazing, bro, to hear, you know, having a family that's supporting you, uh, subhanAllah, the love of the deen and things like that. Man, to be honest with you, though, a lot of us are brought up in a strict environment. And, you know, what ends up happening, a lot of us end up start wild. And, you know, the minute we get, like, you know, freedom, the ability to make our own decisions. So subhanAllah, bro, so what, what kept you, um, like, like were, I wonder, did your school, was it like an Islamic school? Was it a public school? What was the, like, environment for you, like, outside of the home? How did that continue to facilitate, you know, the deen and your values? Well, I, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, as a young kid, I was always around the Islamic environment. So as a kid, mm-hmm. I started off by going to a private Islamic school. Then after that, I uh, transferred to a um, all Somali school, and I'm not gonna lie. You know, in comparison to today, the kids back then were, you know, everyone used to go to Duxi. Everyone was on their best behavior. Are normalized right now. Back then was like, you know, no one would touch it. Like, you know, girls and guys mm-hmm. doing certain things, drugs. You know, people would go like, whoa. You know, that was like some older stuff. Alhamdulillah. And the good thing was the people that I was at, I was with at school would come to Duxi too. So it was like a good community. And Alhamdulillah, as a young kid, you know, the only thing that I had like an urge for is probably playing and, you know, wasting my time as a kid. You know, 
I would want to go outside and play. But my mom would go like, you know, finish your Quran first, then you can do those activities. So we would make deals. And my mom, you know, she understood. She wouldn't put too much pressure on me. And she would understand, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a young kid and I need time to have fun, time to, you know, play with my friends. So she would make a deal with me. I would wake up in the morning, do my Quran, do my homework, whatever it was. And then, um, um, and then move forward. But one thing that really helped me is, you know, shout out to my sheikh who's, you know, I give 50% of, my, of the do work to my mom and 50% to him. My sheikh who really, you know, helped me throughout this process. And he built a community, his students, uh, that till this day, you know, were friends 10 years plus, maybe almost 15 years. And they were the ones who really kept me in check. And I feel like this is for anyone who's trying to learn the Quran, who's trying to stay, uh, you know, connected to the religion. You have to have good friends. You have to have a good support team that, you know, when you're down, on Iman, you know, when you're at your lowest point, they pick you up. And Alhamdulillah, that's what I had. You know, and a lot of people, unfortunately, they don't have that. And what I've noticed is, from what was different from my upbringing and other kids is, people would go to Duxi and they would treat it as something like, you know, painful, a burden. And when they would reach a certain age after finishing the Quran at like 14 and 15, Allah, that's the last time they would go to Duxi and then they would go out of the, you know, out to the world and start working usually you know when you're 15 16 that's when they let you start working so i feel like a lot of people they get distracted by their worldly affairs and they you know they forget their priority and their reason mm -hmm. for being on this earth so alhamdulillah alhamdulillah you know allah subhanahu wa ta'ala firstly blessed me with amazing parents uh a caring mother a very strict mother who you know who knew and understood the value of the quran and this religion and the second thing was my sheikh who dedicated his life, Sheikh Abdul Nasir Farah, who dedicated his life uh, so I can learn the Quran. And who, like, unlike other ma'alimin, like when you come to a duksi, when you come to a class, that ma'alim just wants your Quran. You know, you know, the sad thing is they don't have a personal connection with their students. My sheikh was different. He had a personal connection with me. Uh, he knew what I was doing at school. He knew how I was doing at home. You know, he, he, he was up to date with my mental health, you know, my physical health. You know, he knew me as a person. He probably knew me more than my own father, subhanAllah. So Subhan Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed me with a sheikh that was, you know, he knew and treated me like a son. He knew my potential. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, he, like, I remember there was a time people, look, you know, used to look down upon me. There were teachers that used to go like, you know, Ahmed is not that, you know, he's not that great. He's not good. Because I used to struggle with Hibd as a young kid. And I didn't really have uh, someone to push me. But my sheikh was like, you know what? I see potential in this kid. He has an amazing voice. Uh, he has amazing him. He just needs motivation. And he motivated me. And subhanAllah, I got to the top after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's uh, tawfiq and, you know, through my sheikh's help. SubhanAllah, bro. That is, that is amazing, bro. Like, I love how you highlighted the teacher part, bro. Because to be honest with you, I, I could also share my experience. Ani, when I grew up out here, much like you, bro, just Somali out here, Duxi, you know, typical Duxi. But for me, bro, it was so inconsistent. It was, you know, this madrasa, this sheikh, you know, got, or I mean, my teacher got a better job here. And it was just back and forth. And I think when you're back and forth, bro, you don't have that time to really cultivate a, like, you know, a relationship with the sheikh, the Quran, the, the deen and stuff like that. So thank you for highlighting that, that part. Yeah, that's, that's actually one mistake that I did as a kid. And that, that was like a minor setback for me when I was younger. Mm -hmm. When I was first starting, I was jumping duxi to duxi, especially when I was about six, seven years old. And like about that age, I was, you know, 
going to a different ma'alim. This ma'alim will go like, you know, start over. This ma'alim will go like, you know, start from here, start from here. Like they, they wouldn't know my capability. I'm just the new kid that came to class. They wouldn't know me at all. But Sheikh Abdel Nasir, you know, ever since, you know, I found him, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to let him go. And actually, you know, there was a time that we, I left this class for like a year because there was like some type of uh, construction going on. But even then, like he gave me time outside of the Duke seat uh, and he gave me more time. So that's one thing I would advise anyone who's watching this podcast. If you want to learn anything, whether it's Islamic, Islamic related, whether it's like a mentorship for any career related uh, thing, Quran, whatever it may be, have a, a specific mentor and keep that mentor. Because when you jump around, it takes time for this person to observe you, analyze you. Mm-hmm. And then now, you know, they have to get to know you all over again. But this person knows your weaknesses. They know your strengths and they'll build you through their, uh, you know, their observation. Got you, got you. Mashallah. So I wonder, bro, when you first started, you started early out. Like in Duxi, what, you said like seven years old? Was that right? Yeah, yeah. Like the, the typical age of Minnesota is like everyone's right. six, yeah, six Bro, I got to go check out Minnesota, bro, because Minnesota, mashallah, bro, I'm, I'm from Seattle, bro. Minnesota is not like, uh, I mean, Seattle is not like Minnesota in terms of the Somali community. I'm not giving a lie, like the Muslim community, how you guys like hunker down. And there's a lot more of y'all out there, you know, over here is, you know, subhanAllah, bro. It's, it's very beautiful to see. I have family out there. So mashallah, tabarakallah, I, I got to check it out. But for me, bro, I'm really curious about like the beginning process of when you started, you know, your Duxi program. What was the attitude towards it? Because now you have a passion. Like I can see it's a passion. You didn't just memorize the Quran and it's like over with. Tell me about like the progression of your journey with the Quran and what made you like, like where you are right now in terms of the Quran. Wallahi, you know, from a very young age, sometimes you might not know the value of what you're doing. You know, it's just mm-hmm. that your parents took you to the Duke seat and, you know, you're just there out of obligation. It's like someone who just prays Salah and they don't know why they're praying. They just, you know, they obviously, they fit, they fit the criteria and they meet the standards of the Salah. Like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will probably accept it and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept all our prayers. But I mean. some, some, you know, some people, they just pray for the obligation and we have people that are on a different level. They understand the value of prayer, why it's there to begin with and they have a deep connection with it. So I mean, obviously, as a young kid, you know, you you have motivation for one day, and the next day you lose you lose that motivation. Seeing your friends, you know, not going to or putting as uh, much hours into Duxi as you are, they might be going to basketball, they might be going to play soccer, and you're going like, bro, what is this? Like, why am I always here? But yeah, obviously, this connection and what made me love the Quran more is obviously my sheikh. And, you know, mm-hmm. obviously my role model since I was a young kid and Alhamdulillah, I never had like a problem with music or anything of that sort. So my role models always was you know, Quran reciters, Islamic speakers. That, that's all, all I would watch, you know, that's all uh-huh. I would watch as a kid. And maybe you know, I would watch cartoons here and there, Cartoon Network back in the day. But majority <laughs> of the time I would put my, uh, you know, my time and effort into watching the Quran reciters, the Islamic speakers. So Alhamdulillah, you know, I always had this motivation. You know, it, you know, if you have a certain role model and you try to be like them, eventually, if you don't give up, you're going to be like them or even maybe even better. So Alhamdulillah, you know, starting out, uh, obviously, I started off with Hingad, like every Somali Somali kid. Basically, Hingad, for those who don't know what it is, is learning how to write and read the Arabic language. After that, I started learning the Quran at the, ages, uh, at the age of uh, seven. 
It took me about two years to finish the Quran at the age of nine, nine and a half. I finished the Quran. And then, you know, that's when I started actually memorizing the Quran because there's a difference between finishing it one time, which anyone can do. The hard part is memorizing it, revising it, and then putting together all the 30 juices, compiling it together in your head, which is very difficult. So it took me about four years, five years to do that. And another like year to strengthen it. But Alhamdulillah, I would say when I was about 15, 16, 15, exactly 15, that's when I had the Quran solid. You know, Alhamdulillah, uh, you know, anyone could test me from any verse in the Quran and I would be able to recite it with its, uh, with its tajweed and correct pronunciation rules and its voice. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. But yeah, I, I struggled a lot. And one story I, I will never forget is they used to do tests back in our masjid. They used to do tests uh, every semester to see where everyone's at, every level, to kind of, you know, gather some data about the masjid or the duksi. So I remember one time I told the sheikh I was only prepared to take three ajzat. But like I'm saying, some teachers, they feel for you and some teachers, you know, they don't care about you at all. So mm. he said, okay. But then he... He submitted my uh, uh, test as being five ajzat. So the next day, the, the questionnaire or the guy that was testing us, the sheikh that was testing us, he came and he started testing me on the five ajzat. And the, and the sheikh that was testing me was the, assist, the assistant teacher of my sheikh. So he knew my level too. And he had like a deep, deeper connection with me. So he started asking me and I was really angry. So like, I didn't even answer the questions because I, I told him three ajzat and they made it five ajzat. So I was like, you know what? I give up on that. So, so the next day, the results came in and the teacher was announcing the results and he was like the lowest in the class out of 50 students was Ahmed. So, you know, that, that kind of hit me hard, you know, and, and subhanAllah, those same people today, you know, they might look up to me, but that day they beat me. Everyone beat me in the class. Like I was the lowest. Mm. So, you know, like this is like a, a lesson for everyone that you might start off at a very low place. But if you don't give up, no matter what it is, you're going to reach the top. So I feel mm. like Alhamdulillah, that's what really helped me. I didn't give up. And then um, a big factor of my Quran journey was competitions, locally, nationally, internationally. Uh, it really helped me keep the Quran. How did you go? How did you like go into competitions though? Because it's one thing to memorize Quran, but it's one thing to like go into competition. So when did you start finding out like Allah, like about your your voice and you know, people pushing you to do, you know, competitions. How did that come about? So I, I have a question for you. Like uh -huh. when someone's starting a business, do you go like, you know, or a podcast, do you go like, oh, I never did a podcast before. Should I do it? No, you just, you just do it. So with the mm. Quran competitions, it's the same exact thing. You might not be ready for it the first time. It's just, you right. know, you taste it, you taste it. It's like an experiment. You taste it and then you go mm. like, is this for me? But, right. you know, the first time I did a competition was 2014. I was about, I was in the seventh grade. And then it was a pretty difficult competition. And I had to put a lot of time into the preparation of the Quran. I had like only 15 ajzat memorized. And then I actually memorized almost 15, the other 15 ajzat in one month. Because I remember I, used to, I would come in Fajr in the morning and I would put almost 13 hours of my day into Quran. Wait, you just said how much? How much would you memorize? I memorized 15 juices in one month. Bro, how is that like? How is that possible, bro? <laughs> like, subhanAllah, like you said, like, how is that possible, like, for you to have done that? I need to know what you was doing, bro. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one thing. When it comes to the memorization and, like, you know, learning something, 
especially when it comes to deen-related topics, صح. you have to watch out for your eyes and ears. If mm-hmm. like nowadays, I feel like memorization is you know you know decreasing. The people memorizing things are decreasing. You know why? Because we have electronics and they you know they eat out our brains and you know. So you have to challenge yourself. You can do anything. You can memorize ten pages, twenty pages, and it's kind of like a. a Like a challenge training. So obviously, I was kind of trained to memorize the Quran. The only problem that I had was try to con- connecting that. I did these 15 ajzat like once or twice before that, but all I needed to do was connect it. It wasn't perfect when I was done with it. It was like 65, 70%. Like, as in, like, I wouldn't make a mistake, 70% chance that I wouldn't make a mistake. But what I would do is I would wake up early in the morning, like, Fajr, that it was like in the winter. So it was like almost. So, you know, it was like between uh, winter and summer. So it was like, it was like it was about to become summer, but still we were on that, uh, you know, um, that winter timing. So I would wake up really early in the morning, 4 a.m. And I would go to a masjid, learn the Quran all day, facing the wall, no electronics, nothing. I put away everything, no free time that month. I, I, had, I had no time to breathe. If I, the only time I would give myself breathing time was to exercise or something because I needed it for health purposes. But what I would do is from for 12 hours straight, I would be sitting in the same place. All the breaks was for food. Then I would go back doing the same thing. Pray salah, eat food, salah, go back to your routine. Maybe take some water breaks here and there. It was a, a, a I mean, strict dedication to the Quran that month. So I made a deal with my school. I told them, Yo, you know, I'm getting ready for a Quran competition. Give me the assignments. I'm going to do it and I'll give it to you guys. And they said, okay, we understand. We understand where you're coming from. They just said, take these assignments and uh, bring it to us when you're done. And if you have any questions, you can have some private time with the teacher and she would, she, she's going to explain it to you or he's going to explain it to you. So yeah, that month, you know, it was a time of no electronics. And this is what I say to everyone. If you want to learn the Quran, you need to cut down on social media time, entertainment time, you know, because I feel like nowadays it's the electronics are killing us. So Alhamdulillah, what helped me that month is I had no electronics. I was not looking at anything. It was strict ibadah. And the more Barak, the more ibadah your life you have in your life, the more barakah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts in your life. So mm-hmm. I feel like that's what really, you know, boosted me to memorize that much of Quran. It was difficult. I'm not going to lie to you. I remember I would look at ayah by ayah. That's how I would learn. But the thing is, the, the problem is nowadays people sit down, they look at a page, they learn an ayah, they learn the next ayah, three ayahs straight. They're on a roll, mashallah. They pick up their phone once to look at text messages. Uh, or a notification, boom, they forgot the three eyes and they go like, you know what, I'll do this tomorrow. I'll, I'll do this tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Same thing tomorrow, they might do three three ayat, add extra three verses. They're going to look at their notification, snap, whatever, Instagram, boom. And then it really comes and disrupts their consistency. So alhamdulillah, I didn't have that. I gave my, I willingly gave my mom my tablet. I was like, I was a kid, so I had a tablet. So I told my mom, here's my tablet. I don't want to see this tablet the whole month. I said, it's going to be me in the Quran. So this I, is you saying this. This yeah, is this you is saying this. This is, this, is, this is me saying this. Because obviously, you know, in the end of the day, I'm the one that's going to be sitting right. on the chair. So I, I wouldn't right. want to embarrass myself. Because you're going to embarrass right. yourself before you embarrass anyone else. So right. I was like, you know what? I was like, you know what? Here and here. Plus, you know, as a kid, I feel like majority of people weren't really into electronics and stuff. Everyone used to read a lot. I don't, I don't know what happened to people. Back in the day, 7th grade, 6th grade, everyone was reading books. They were eating... Mm. They were either reading books or, you know, they were hooping or, or playing soccer or any other sport. But I feel like that changed and social media is kind of forcing people to sit at home. 
So yeah, my first Quran competition that I went in, Alhamdulillah, I placed sixth. It was Connecticut. You know, I did, you know, if you look at like my level like right now and everyone else's level right that, you know, right now, like I would say I did pretty bad, but it was pretty good, Alhamdulillah. I did really good. And that was like my first, you know, step in the door when it came into the door for Quran competitions. And after that, you know, I was on a roll. I did Quran competitions. I lost some, I won some. So it was always like, you know, balanced out. I wouldn't always win. And Alhamdulillah, I didn't always win because if you don't have failure, you won't have success. The more, the more someone fails, the more they succeed. But right now, if I hand you a million dollars, you're probably going to play around and, you know, do uh, um, unnecessary things with it, probably waste your money. But if, I, if you work for that money, you're going to take it seriously. Even if it takes you a million times to fail and you get that money, you'll take it seriously or invest into it and do things. Same thing with... Uh, with the the Quran, the more time you put into it, uh, the more it gives back to you. Mm. I really, I, I, Wallahi, bro, I just want to, subhanAllah, that was very profound. And the fact that you're talking about like the more time you put into it, the more it will give back to you in a way. Because I, I find this to be very true, bro. Because me personally, Hadda, I'm what? We might be at similar age, bro. I'm like, I'm 21, about to be 22. And I'm trying to memorize, bro. I'm trying to memorize the Quran. So it's like, and I'd be embarrassed to say how much I've memorized, bro. And um, but now, like, Hadda, when I try a lot of what you talked about, it's like for one inconsistency, right? Or picking up that, picking up the phone, or and what I find personally is when I'm memorizing and I get interrupted, like it takes it takes a little bit to get into that flow state. They call it the flow state, right? And once you're on that, it's like you got momentum, you know. But I want to ask you this, bro. Like for those who are maybe older, right? I want you, because you studied, like, you, 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 do you teach people the Quran now? Yeah, alhamdulillah, I teach, I teach. MashaAllah. So I, I want to ask you this. It's seeing people who are maybe a little bit older and seeing people who are younger. What do you see maybe the pros and cons of, you know, or, or the strengths and weaknesses in each when it comes to learning the Quran? Just so that people who are a little bit older trying to get their, you know, their grips with the Quran could maybe get a little bit of insight as to, you know, their approach. So... The good thing about when you're young is you're getting pushed, you're getting encouraged, and you have a lot of time on your hand. Like that, that's that, that's why they say you know take uh, take advantage of your youth uh, because you have a lot of time. You, know, you don't have a family to take care of. You don't have to work. There's no bills waiting for you. Mm. So as a kid, you have so much time. But the problem with the kid is, as a young person, you don't really understand the value. It comes over time, and it has like the certain wisdom that comes with it. So as a kid, he's just learning this because for his mom and his dad. Unless Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, those he, who yani, he gave wisdom to at a very young age and they understood the, the mission from day one. But that's, that's, that, that's the kid. The kid, you know, as long as you push him, he'll get it done. And if you, you know, if you tell him about the Quran and you make him love it more, then he'll, you know, that love will stay with him. And for the older person, one thing that's good about them is if an older person is learning the Quran, this is from them. You never, it's very rare to see someone that was old that's being pushed. You know, it's very rare. And if that happens, you know, it's crazy. But someone that's older is learning the Quran. That means this person, you know, he made, you know, he made a, uh, a promise to himself that he's going to get this done. So this person, what he has that the other person doesn't is he understands the value. But the problem is the time. So now they have to go back to the schedule and they have to manage their time. And I believe... I don't care how old you are, you can memorize the Quran. That's what I believe. Because look, 
you have time every day, at least two, three, four hours for entertainment. Time to talk to your friends, a time to go out. But you're telling me you don't have one hour, two hours to learn the Quran. I believe there's no one today, unless you're working like crazy shift and you know, you're doing double shift. I don't, I don't think there's someone that can say, I didn't have time for Quran. I didn't have time to study the knowledge, especially with all these resources and um, things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed us with technology, which has many benefits. You just open a, a your computer right now and you open up Zoom, you have a Quran teacher waiting for you. You open up YouTube, you have tips, Islamic studies, anything. You can find it for free or with a uh, uh, payment. So, you know, that's, that's the, 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 the comparison between the both. The, the, the older person needs to just manage it. If they manage their time, I believe they can have way more potential than the younger child because they have the drive, they have the incur, you know, the 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 encouragement from within themselves. So they push themselves. No one pushed them. And you know, to say this, I always tell people, don't feel embarrassed, no matter how old you are, because I, one of the Quran that I look up to, some of the Quran that I look up to today, they started memorizing the Quran at a very old age. Yeah. I know you know this one Sheikh, maybe you know him, maybe you don't. Sheikh Hassan Saleh, he's a big Qari. The one from New York? Yeah, from New Jersey, New Jersey. Yeah, Yo, New Jersey, New area. Jersey. So gotcha. the Sheikh, he has a pot, he has like a little interview where he was talking about his life. The Sheikh never started memorizing the Quran until the age of 19. When he started memorizing at the age of 19, like I'm talking about, like, well, he knew some surahs here and there, but properly memorizing 19. What happened was after that, he kind of got distracted. He kind of got distracted with life. His dad died. He had to take over with uh, the family. So he, he put on hold. Then he started officially memorizing again at the age of 23. And it took him about five years to memorize the Quran. So when he was about 30, that's when he memorized the Quran. So if he can do it, look, the sheikh had to, the sheikh had to um, take care of the farm. They had like a family farm. He had to take care of it. He had to, uh, uh, you know, work crazy hours because it's not the same today. You don't get the same pay back home, you know? So right. the sheikh had to take care of his family. You know, and yani, he would have to sacrifice the time where he would sleep for the Quran. And today, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raised him with the Quran, raised him through the Quran. So, at the end of the day, I feel like, you know, no matter how old you are, you can remember the Quran. Some of the Aimat al Haram, Shaykh Ali Hudayfi from Medina, that a lot of us, you know, children we used to listen to, he memorized the Quran at the age of 33, 34. Wow. So, you know, you have no excuse. Some of the top Quran, some of the top scholars, they actually started learning at 30, 40, and they, became, they, they left this world with a legacy. So there's no, there's no such thing as a time to study until you die. You know, it's fair game. You have so much time to, to learn the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave you 24 hours. And just look at how your life changes after putting two, three hours into, uh, to, into his words and his kitab. Look at how your life changes. Allah says in Surah Taha, Whomever, you know, strays away or leaves my dhikr, uh, meaning the Qur'an, the deen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promises this person a depressing life. And I will resurrect him on the day of judgment blind. This person will come out on the day of judgment completely blind. He will not be able to see. And then this person will ask, Oh my Lord. Why did you reject me blind when I used to see? Our verses came to you, whether it was through technology, whether it was through a ma'alin, whether it was through a friend. You forgot it. 
Today we'll forget you and we'll not you know, help you in any way possible. So look, the more time you put in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes your life easier. He gives you a well-paying job. You might have like, let's say you're getting paid 70K a year. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, just through the way you respected the Quran, Allah might raise it to 100K over like a span of, a span of one month or six months. Maybe if he doesn't give you the thawab in this dunya, he might give it to you in akhirah. But it's unlikely for a person who sticks with the Quran, who follows the rules of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to have a difficult life in this world. Or you can recite, you can read the biography of the Qur'a, that how their life changed when they start memorized the Qur'an and how their life changed when they started spreading the deen and the Qur'an. Just, just go read about their lives. Major, majority of Qur'a, they had longer lives than everyone else. Life of barakah, life of wealth, life of, uh, you know, they never seen poverty. So yeah, the honest truth is, no matter how old you are, you still have time for the Qur'an. It just takes a matter of dedication and time management. Subhanallah. Allah, bro, Allah. That's a beautiful reminder for me, first and foremost. So, uh, subhanallah, may Allah reward you immensely, bro, for that reminder. I mean, uh, I mean. So, subhanallah, bro, I want to kind of like pivot. Um, so, as you, you know, as you got older, what has been that motivation, that that drive, that pushed you into this because subhanAllah this is something that you you embody you embody the Quran not only from the childhood like Hadda, I was going to ask you earlier like all those hours you're putting in all that time I'm thinking anything else you put your time into you're getting burnt out for sure you know anything you do that long but here you are continue to pray and it just it highlights the barakah in, in, in memorizing the Quran the, the blessings of it so what has that motivation been for you to memorize the Quran, to continue to memorize, and and how has that barakah showed up in your life personally? Well, one thing I can say is traveling, traveling for Quran competitions, whether it was Umrah, whether it was for Quran competitions, Quran events. You meet people, you meet people older than you, people that are advising you, and that's why Imam Shafi'i says uh, he he advises everyone to travel because he says it comes with five benefits. Um. One of the benefits that he mentioned is obviously you meet good friends. You meet people of different cultures. You become more understanding. You make great friendships. And he says you find a way of a means of wealth. Your deen becomes stronger. And he mentions mm. other things. But like you, you meet good people that are always going to be connected with you. People that will always advise you from all over the world. And alhamdulillah, what motivated, uh, what motivated me as Ahmed is my friend group. My friend group, whether they're in Minnesota, whether they're in other states, whether they're in international, I'm surrounded by Qurra. So, Alhamdulillah, I'm surrounded by Ahlul Quran, and I chose those friends on purpose. If I see someone, like, I'm going to be very honest with you, if I see someone that's lacking and stuff, I might speak to you out of respect, but I'm not going to hold you as a, uh, um, um, as a very close friend. The people that I kept as a strong friend, as a very uh, important figure in my life, were all people that practiced the religion and they took it seriously. And mm. you have to be very selfish when it comes to choosing your friend. Because in the end of the day, in Yom Al-Qiyamah, these friends will not help you. And one you know, very sad thing that I want to point out, even though it might be sensitive for people, is a lot of the times I see people dying from you know, drugs or something mm. or gang violence. And then you see this person, so-called best friend on Snap, going like RIP, rip to our brother, da-da-da. And then he's doing the same exact thing that his brother died from. As for you see another friend that maybe 
his friend died in a car accident. He was a Qari or something. And then you see this brother raising funds for him, you know, you know, spreading his mm-hmm. Sadaqah Jariyah, spreading his Quran, spreading, you know, good things that he said, you know, you know, spreading his khayr in his name. Are they the same? No. So you have to choose your friends. Because in Yawm Al-Qiyamah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he described in Surah Abasa, there will be a day where the person will be running away from their own brother. The mother and the father. If your father and mother are running away from you, where do your, where do your, your, your friends stand? So you have to be very um, wary of who you choose. Why am I still motivated? It's because of my surroundings. It's because of my sheikh. It's because of the people I'm, you know, I'm always with. If you are who your friends are. Prophet ﷺ the person or the shakhs is on the religion of their friends. So let each one of you look at who they befriend. It's very important. It's very important. So Alhamdulillah, uh, the, the reason why I'm here today is Tawfiq min Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala giving me this opportunity and this honor of raising me with the Qur'an. The second thing is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessing me with amazing, uh, an amazing friend group. You know, you'll never see my friends sending, you know, a music video in a group chat. It's always, oh, look at this shqari, look how he's reciting, look at this video, look at the uh, profound uh, Arabic language, look at this poetry. It's always intellectual conversations. Yes, we mm. might, you know, you know, we might, you know, deviate away from it sometimes, you know, going to MBA and stuff. The majority of the time, alhamdulillah, it's about khair and good. And you yeah. ask me how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put barakah in my life. You know, I've never struggled with school, alhamdulillah. That's one thing that I've seen that came with the blessings. You know, it would take someone to, uh, to memorize something for a very long time. It would take me one hour to study for a test where it was taking someone else 10 hours. So alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed me with that. And he blessed me to travel to places, you know, where I didn't have to pay out of pocket. And I was invited to a lot of places where I didn't have to pay for the hotel the food you know so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raised me in this dunya raised me in this dunya and I ask him I ask of him that he raises all of us in akhirah and that's when it truly matters subhanallah bro I'm hearing you talk to me bro and you subhanallah the eyes that you're dropping on us the remember the reminders is so profound you know, a lot of us, Ahmed, subhanAllah, we're, when we joined to like his programs or memorizing, 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 but a lot of us are not even really understanding. What are we reading? What are we really, this is the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but in a lot of people, it's just like Arabic words. So how were you able to delve into some of the meaning? When did that happen? And what was your like realizations once you stumbled upon the meaning of this Quran? Wallahi, what I'm going to say is the Quran itself, as long as you love it, it comes with its own mu'jizah. Mm-hmm. You, may, you may not understand the words of it, or you might not understand the translation of the Qur'an. But I've seen so many people from different cultures crying when they hear the Qur'an. You ask them, do you understand what, it, what it's saying? And they would say, you know, we have no idea what it means, but it just feels amazing. Like, I'm pretty sure you've seen those social experiments on YouTube where they would go yep. to different people. So yeah, me, I'm not going to lie to you. When I, as a young kid, I didn't understand the translation of the Qur'an. As I grew older, alhamdulillah, I had a lot of Islamic study classes. And, you know, I learned the Arabic language. You know, I learned a portion of Tafsir as a young kid. But alhamdulillah, now I even delved, you know, uh, you know, even deeper into learning the Tafsir of the Qur'an, learning the, you know, what these ayat mean, how are they connected. 
And one thing I'll tell you is there's, there's a direct translation of the Quran and there's the tafsir. They're not the same. Translation is like 10% or not even 1% to be honest of what the Quran mm. actually means because these ayat connect. There's hadith that come with it. There's rulings that come with it. The tafsir is very difficult. They say the mufassir, the person who does the tafsir has the most difficult job. They had, they had the most difficult job because they have to derive rulings from these ayat. They have to derive the stories, the lessons of the stories. So it's much deeper than you think. And I would advise people, if you're learning tafsir, to go to a teacher, someone that knows the tafsir or listen to it online. But you're never going to learn tafsir without the Arabic language. And that's something that I learned as I became older. I grew to love the Arabic language. and It's my favorite language. Uh, and pretty much that's how I understood the Quran. To learning the Arabic language, Alhamdulillah. I'm curious, real quick, how are how did you go about learning the Arabic language? Was it through Arabic Bainiyadik books, online, instructors, in person? So, so yeah, it was pretty much Arabic Bainiyadik and other books, and I had I had instructors. And well, to be honest, I, I can't even say I know one percent of the language right now because the language is very big; it's the biggest language, and they say to be fluent in it, you have to know like two percent of it. So it's it's not a joke. It's not a joke. The Arabic language is not a joke. So even speaking to you right now, I still take private classes with uh, Arab, for Arabic uh, to build my Arabic because Arabic is the key, the miftah to the mm. religion of Islam, to the studies of the deen. If you don't have Arabic, it's as if you're a tourist in your own religion. That's what the ulama says. That, that's what the ulama say. You're like a tourist in your own religion. Because this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala choose Arabic. Because he knew it was a very uh, great language that was uh, very uh, deep, has a lot of words. They say the closest, the, 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 the second big, the biggest language is Spanish. And between those two languages are 500,000 words. 500,000 words. So yeah, so Arabic, I mean, subhanAllah, Arabic is... It's not, it's not, it's not a joke. It's not a joke. But yeah, the way That's I learned it is through online programs, alhamdulillah. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, mashallah. But this might get really deep, but um, man, between me and you, you know, were you born here in uh, the States, right? I was, I was born in Kenya, but I came here when I was oh, 11 okay, months. Mashallah. So you can consider me born here, 11 months. Basically. <laughs> gotcha. So a lot of us, I guess it would be considered second generation, right? And, uh, man, we're going out of touch of our language, our culture, even in a lot of ways, our deen. You know, we see us, a lot of us, assimilating and blending into the culture, whether it be through the fitna. You see now people doing things that are un-Islamic, you know? And it's like we're assimilating into the culture. And subhanAllah, what I get fearful of is us, like, you know, yes, we're dropping our tradition, but are people going to start dropping their, their deen? And a big indication of that is when people like start letting go of the Quran. So for me, bro, it's just like, how do you think we should approach, you know, within our communities to really hold on to the deen? Where does it start, you know, within our communities? The way I see it is, I feel like the, the elders are a bit moving pretty um, um, old school. We need to, mm. we need to, you know, kind of change the way we're doing things. We need to change. We need to be up to par with these uh, schools, building on technology, you know, creating more courses, uh, um, videos, bringing back the youth to the masjid, not kicking them out. 
and um, masjids being very, <coughs> as you know, they can be very corrupt nowadays. Subhanallah. Uh, those are one of the problems uh, where the fi the finances might not be going to the right sector or the right department. So I feel like um, the way we can revive this community is by um, by making more activities for people, mm. going out to the streets, bringing people like with your own hands, but like dragging them to a masjid. Everyone in charge of their own friends, making movements. You know, creating incentives, more competitions. Uh, you know, uh, you know, prizes for poetry night, prizes for Quran night, prizes for this incentives to keep people, you know, happy. Because mm -hmm. now we have tournaments for basketball where someone is, you know, getting paid to play basketball. We we should have the same thing for Dean. And I feel like it's uh, we're we're putting it down. We need to have like uh, national contests and stuff like that. And I feel like a lot of people that you know study the Quran. One thing that really um um motivated them is these Quran competitions you know so I, I feel like the way we can do things is changing uh, or recreating uh, um, um, or basically saying changing something about the old wheel changing mm. something about the old wheel and you know putting in time into our youth investing into them whether it's money time energy and you know kind of understanding them and i feel like the uh, the the parents and the elders should go back out there and you know actually learn the culture what are our kids going through but i know you know what we should do as um, younger guys to help people come back to the dean is you know have you know heartfelt conversations with them hold you know super bowl nights for them you know things that can bring them back to the message and then take advantage of that uh to speak with them Alhamdulillah, you know, putting in a lot of money to building gyms, uh, making, you know, youth centers for our community. I feel like things like that will really, you know, uh, connect our kids back to, uh, to the deen. But a lot of these kids, they go to YMCA. Why can't we have our own YMCA as Muslims? You know, why can't we have our own lifetime fitnesses as Muslims? So mm. I feel like when we do that and we, we create extracurricular activities for our youth, then they're going to be connected back to the deen. MashaAllah, tabarakallah. MashaAllah. I think those are some beautiful insights, bro. So, okay, bro, I have another question that I could ask you, subhanAllah. As someone who has a 18-month-year-old, you know, son, young boy, uh, baby Yusuf, you know, that's my son right there. And, you know, I, I, I want him to grow up, mashaAllah, bro, much like you did. Someone who is, you know, sticking to the deen, memorizing the Quran. But oftentimes, bro, we see it's like, I don't know, maybe it's those one-off, maybe I'm talking about exceptions where the father or the parents are like religious, they're in the mosque at the front, but then the son or the child is struggling with the dean, bro. So it's like, what strategies did your parents use or that you see other parents use that really influenced the kids to hold on to the dean, right? So what parent, like from the parents' angle, what benefited you that could benefit them, inshallah? So, um... One thing that can benefit that kid is basically it's the household. The household, the person needs to have a good upbringing. So you know, a lot of a lot of times the parents themselves are not built. They're not built Islamically wise. So how are they gonna advise their children? How are they gonna sit their children down and talk to them about the deen when they have no idea about the deen to begin with? So what I would say is, as a person, as a father, I feel like the person should build themselves first you should build yourself first learn about the dean put time into it one year two years because he's still young 
But when he reaches that certain age where he can understand things six, seven, and he starts learning things, sit him down, you know, start his upbringing very young. You know, try to teach him the deen, teach him what's right and wrong, teach him the values of the deen, the Quran, why is this halal, why is this haram, try to show him different perspectives. So he knows later on, you know, my father told me this is bad and this is my pinpoint on it. And he's going to become someone that has a very strong identity. A lot of the problems that you, you know, the reason what you said, the father might be sitting in the front row and the kid, you know, he might be doing God knows what. The, the problem is there's no connection between the parents and the kids. The kids come home, they go to a room, they start using electronics. The mom's on the phone, the dad's reading a newspaper or he's, you know, he's out at work. So the problem is there's no gathering. There's no people that there's no like sitting down. Uh, um, you know, subhanAllah, no one sits down and actually talks. That's the problem. So I feel like the more uh, uh, the more we have, you know, the more we develop connection with our kids, the more we develop connection with our parents, I feel like the community will be a better place. But we don't have that. There's a big gap between the parents and the children. Mm. You know, the, the father should come. You know, there should be jama'ah. Alhamdulillah, my household, we have jama'ah prayer. We have jama'ah prayer where everyone prays together. You know, we have talks after prayer. I think every family should have that. Someone, we, we, we read a book together. We have a Islamic book where I start reading it one day and my brother continues on, sister continues on, when my mom reads it, we read together. So if we have a strong upbringing like that, unless Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, at the end of the day, guidance is in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's hands. But we mm. have the tools to find that guidance. So I feel like if we, if we treat the deen like a priority, the way we would treat it at school, because their parents, they always ask their children about, how are your grades? How's this? But it's rare to see a parent that goes like, how's your Quran? How's your Salah? Like, it's, it's so rare. So until we figure out what our priority is, priority is, and why we're on earth, then nothing's going to be fixed. Mm. And I feel like the upbringing comes from the household. So what I would advise you is having a good connection with your son in anything, in anything. It could be this dunya affairs, akhirah affairs, in anything, to be honest. Right. SubhanAllah, bro. That's very beautiful advice. To be honest with you, oftentimes you see kids being told to do one thing, but they're being shown a complete different thing. If you're, exactly. if you, if you want, like, this is a big thing for me. It's like, okay, you want the kid to prioritize salad. You want the kid to prioritize Quran. You know, what does it do to a kid psychologically when they come into the living room as Ba'du Fajr and they see their father reading the Quran and he's making a part exactly. of him? What does that do so to earlier, him psychologically? Earlier you asked me what's your motivation when it comes to like continuing our life with the Quran. My, my father wasn't blessed to become a hafiz. Neither does he have great to read, you know, pronunciation rules. And he knows it too. We always make fun of him for it, <laughs> me and my mom. But one thing that my dad has is consistency. Consistency. Whether we travel, whether we're at home, every morning, mashallah, every morning I, he wakes up for fidget. He's the one, he's like the alarm clock for the family. He wakes up for Fajr. And after Fajr, he sits down until sunrise reading the Quran. Since like the past maybe 20 years plus, he had his daily revision of being one juz. He recites from the Kitab. Even though his pronunciation might not be perfect. But every day, he never misses that one juz of Quran that he recites. And he finishes the Quran every month. Also, another thing is tasbih. When he's in the car, he does his tasbih, his du'as, his adkar. So when you're a kid seeing this, you're watching your father do this, you're going to feel ashamed. You're going to go like, oh, you know, I'm the one who was blessed to be able to go to Duxi to learn the Quran. And my father, you know, he might not have had this opportunity, but he still values the Quran and the deen. So I want to be like him. But when you have a father that, you know, sleeps through Fajr, doesn't pray Fajr, uh, um, 
you know, he's just outside all day, you know, just doing uh, whatever he wants. Uh, he might not be praying on time. He might smoke. He might listen to music. The kid is going to, you are, you know, they say in the Arabic, there's an Arabic proverb that goes like, from Whoever resembles their father, they're not to be blamed. You know, they're not to be blamed because you are, usually you are what your parents are because it's psychological. It's the way you grow up. Right. That's why we see a lot of people, if they get abused by their parents, they they become, slowly become abusers mm. themselves. Like a lot of times we see that. So that, you know, I've seen it so many times and it's it's ridiculous because you're going to see a mother listening to so much music and when her <laughs> daughter starts listening to music, she goes like, Allah haram, uh, you know, she goes like, she goes like, turn it off. Right. Why are you getting mad? You're, you're doing the same mistake. Bumping it doing. in the kitchen, exactly. cleaning. And then when they come out here yeah, listening yeah. to their music, you know, yeah. then like, okay, are you going to yeah. be surprised? No, no, no. Well, I, it's, it's, it's really important. Like you have to be a role model for your kids. Mm. You have to be a role model for your kids. And that's why I say people, when you're choosing a spouse, you have to choose wisely. Mm. You have to choose wisely because, because, you know, you, you choose your spouse, but your kids do not choose their parents. And that will affect them. Uh, that will affect them. That will affect them in the future. Allah, that's the truth. SubhanAllah. Man, uh, thank you so much, bro. Allah, I, I benefited immensely. I, I have like final two questions, inshallah. One of them being, what makes you hopeful? I know we talked to some of the things, our concerns, our, our worries, some motivations regarding like the memorizing the Quran, why we should be doing this. But what are some things when you look at the young Muslim Western youth, which is a lot of our audience, what gives you hope, you know, in our community? What gives me hope in our community is Alhamdulillah, we've been blessed with a lot of resources. We have technology, we have a lot of skilled individuals, we have people who went to school. A majority of people, you know, they're, they can read, they can write. And that was not, you know, in the time of the Sahabas, the time back in the day, no one knew how to read and write. The Prophet Ali himself was a, uh, um, um, was illiterate, like you could not read or write, but he still conveyed this religion. So imagine us with all these resources, all these things Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, uh, has given to us and all, I mean, the things that the Prophet has left with us, the ilm, the abundance of knowledge, the millions of books that we have on our fingertips. You open a PDF, you can find any book you need, any book you need. So what, I, that what I'm hopeful is, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us resources and technology. If we come together, if we help each other, if we, you know, get rid of this don't judge me, stigma if we if we get rid of this cancel culture stigma if you get rid of this animosity gender war tribal war you know all these little uh petty things if we get rid of it i feel like we'll, we're going to be very strong and the funny thing is that that really you know surprised me is the kufar the kufari especially europeans white people you're never going to see them going like oh you're this you're that they're not they're never going to be roasting another guy they're always together no matter their borders nothing germany france uk usa they're always working allies together and then what do they do to us? They make the Muslims go against each other. Tribal wars, you're this qabil. Yani. So it's, it, in the end of the day, we need to come together. We need to get rid of these nationalities, these ethnicities, these races. Uh, these races. Um, in the end of the day, obviously, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made you from a nation, you know, as a way to be known. Like, I'm this, from this, from this. But it's not something you're supposed to be prideful of, putting other people down. And subhanAllah, I don't know if you've seen this video, a couple of days ago, there was a sister saying uh, something about race um, comes before Muslim. Being black comes comes oh, before Islam. And, you know, it's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of, it's a misconception mm. that a lot of people have. And the funny thing is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Araf, He says, You remember a, a time when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took an oath 
from Bani Adam. He took an oath from the sons of Adam. And their backs and their seeds. And he made them testify against themselves. Like this is a time where everyone was hmm. souls. All Bani Adam, Fir'aun, Abu Jahl, Trump, Baal, <laughs> everyone in one place. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asked them, Am I not your Lord? And everyone testified, Yes, indeed, you are our Lord. And they said, uh, We testify against ourselves, our, ourselves that we will not come on Yawm Al-Qiyamah to say that we were unaware of this because everyone made a promise to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when they were born, they were born with the fitrah of Islam, unless you know, um, unless you know, their parents or someone else deviated them away from their path. So what I say is like, we need to get rid of this, you know, uh, nonsense, these topics, these wars. We need to come together as a community, no matter what color you are, no matter where you're from. You know, you're, at the end of the day, you're Muslim. We're one ummah, you know, we're one ummah. So I feel like, you know, with the technology we have, the skillful people we have in our lives, we can make a great impact. And that's what I'm talking oh, about. MashaAllah, MashaAllah, Tabarakallah. Man, um, I have... A selfish question, inshallah, me personally. I know you're a Quran teacher, so I think other people would be able to benefit, inshallah. But let's say, you know, it's a brother who can read, you know, read the Quran. He's able to open the Mus'haf. He can, you know, start, you know, memorizing. So let's say you have a student who's just now starting to memorize, getting his feet wet. What do you typically start with with your students? What methods have you found, like, in terms of, you know, your approach to memorizing and your approach to teaching your students how to memorize? Uh, when I when I teach my students, I always tell them if they don't have really strong hiv and they don't have strong tajweed, we mm-hmm. always start from the bottom. Because as you see, the Quran is like a staircase. Quran is and it gets bigger, 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 bigger. It goes like that. But a lot of people, they feel embarrassed. They're like, oh, can't start from just I'm, I'm, I'm right. a big guy, you know. Uh, I'm an older person, you know. I need to start from Baqarah. But it's a psychological thing. It's like a it's like a way to memorize the Quran. You start off with small ayat, then it goes up, big ayat. That, that's how it goes up. But a lot of people don't understand that, unfortunately. So um, what I would advise is you find a good teacher first. You know, and my kids, the one, the number one thing that we work on is tajweed. Because at the end of the day, I'd rather have you memorize one juz of the Quran with proper tajweed than you memorizing the Quran with no tajweed rules at all. You know, so so that's what I advise them. And, you know, another thing that I advise them is like each ayah, give it its... A certain importance like certain time and you know specific time learn this ayah for let's say two minutes you read it five times from the kitab six times seven times eight times until it sticks in your head close the kitab listen to yourself and then the next ayah do the same and then connect this second ayah back to the first ayah and then keep going like that until you reach the page then have someone listen to you your sheikh your mom your dad Whatever. That's how you. That's how you learn. Got you. Got that's you. How you learn. Mashallah, bro. Uh, I want to ask you, uh, Subhanallah, what are you currently up to, bro? Like, what is in the works for you? Hadda? Do you have any? I remember you were promoting at the time a while back, like this. I think you have a platform or something like that, like a website where you guys were teaching. Are you guys still doing that? Uh, Alhamdulillah, um, um, I teach now. I'm I'm updating the system. I also want to bring back the the. The course that I had, I'm just doing a couple updates with it. Alhamdulillah, you know, expanding it more to more sciences. Uh, Alhamdulillah, now I study the Quran still. You know, you never grow out of studying. And the funny thing is, they say two people they never learn: the the person with arrogance mm. and the shy person. 
Because a sh uh, arrogant person is not going to ask someone a question because he thinks he knows it all. A shy person won't ask it because they're, you know, they're shy and they're scared. You know, they, they, they think they it might be too weird to ask. They're scared. So um, one thing I say is no matter any setting, you know, always try to study the deen. No matter how old you are, always learn something. Improve yourself. Learn, go read books about any science. Alhamdulillah, I, I'm, a, I'm a student at university, third year uh, university student. I study data analytics and management. Alhamdulillah, I, I, in the future, near future, like next year or the year after, maybe, inshallah. I hope next year, inshallah, most likely next year. I hope you guys make da'a for me that I get the opportunity to, to study the Islamic Sharia and other Islamic sciences inshallah. at an Islamic university. Allah. Those are my plans, alhamdulillah. But now, for now, uh, I'm just working on myself, building myself, and try to teach, you know, and try to give back to the community and give back to Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given me and gifted with someone else. Allah. Mashallah, Subhanallah, bro. Ahmed, I just want to thank you so much, bro. It's uh, it's dope what you're doing, bro. It's dope what you're doing on Instagram, on social media, and you know, coming on the podcast and spreading a lot of that khair, bro. So may Allah reward you immensely. And, I, and I'm excited. Well, yeah, bro. And I'm I'm excited about your journey and tracking that. Inshallah. Inshallah. You know, hopefully we can keep in touch and follow up. Inshallah. Inshallah, for sure, for sure. Inshallah, keep inshallah. up the great work that you guys are doing. Uh, and a lot of people were motivated and inspired by this podcast and i've been told about it many times you know may allah bless your work and make it as a mean of entering jannah for those thank you so much bro inshallah jazakallah khairan assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh